Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a conversation about protecting our planet's precious wildlife from commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures. This is Risha with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're talking about rhino horn trafficking in India with Dr. Bibab Talukdar, chair of the IUCN Asian Rhino Specialist Group. We're already three months into 2013. How does the number of rhinos killed in India so far this year compare to last year at this time? Well, last year in in India, especially in the state of Assam, where we have over 65% of the greater one-horn rhino, uh, we lost about 22 rhinos last year in, in, in Assam. This year, in the first three months, we have lost 17 rhinos due to poaching, which is quite significant uh, in, in, in the first three months of 2013. So definitely this year is, uh, is, is a challenging one. Um, and I think, you know, means we need to do a lot to check the poaching. Uh, I only hope that it doesn't turn to be another South Africa, uh, which is very unfortunate for overall rhino conservation, not only also in South Asia or Southeast Asia. Oh, my gosh. So there's 17 already in India. Have those all been killed in Assam? Right. Mm. And regarding the destination for the rhino horns, um, there's been a lot of focus on Vietnam as a destination for rhino horns from South Africa. What is the destination of rhino horns that are coming from India, from the greater one-horned rhinos? Well, I th- you know, with the harassment in India so far related to, to rhino poaching and also in Nepal, uh, the evidence shows that the, the greater one horn rhinos goes uh, more to China than to Vietnam. Of course, the Vietnam has you know come into the picture of late, but uh, with, with with the scenario in in Asian countries, especially for for the greater one horn rhinos, which we have in India and Nepal, uh, the evidence is, you know so far uh, reflects that China is is the major market for the for the greater one-horn uh, rhinos uh, compared to Vietnam. Hmm. So there's not really a significant connection between the greater one-horn rhinos situation in Southeast Asia then? Yeah, absolutely. So far we have not got any concrete evidence of our rhino horns going to Vietnam. But there are some speculations. There are some new routes of, you know, rhino horns being smuggled out from the northeastern India, including some. And some of them, I think around 15% goes via Myanmar. And and from Myanmar, we are not sure whether it's still going to China or it, it, it has started going to Vietnam. So the, I think that's an area where further investigation uh, is, is, is needed. Hmm. And talking about the, the people in the areas um, that are usually involved in the killing of rhinos in um, India in particular, what is the connection between the Karbianglong and Dimapur and Nagaland and rhino horn trafficking? 
Did I pronounce all of those correctly? Yes. So Nagaland is, is a different province, you know, like which is adjacent to Assam within India. Karbianglong is a district within within Assam. And Karbianglong is a basically hilly areas, and a lot of poachers definitely prefer to take shelter in Karbianglong because the terrain is inaccessible. And, and that makes, you know, the, 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 for the enforcement agencies challenging to track and map poachers from the Karbianglong hills. Uh, Nagaland is a place, is a, is a province where, you know, the, the evidence shows that a lot of rhino horn trading is going on. And I think this is the first market after the rhinos are killed by poachers, the horn goes to Nagaland. And from Nagaland, you know, it generally goes to to, to West Bengal and then to, to Nepal. And from Nepal, it goes to, to China. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, now around 15% of the horn goes to Myanmar. But we are not sure now whether from Myanmar it goes to China or to Vietnam. So basically, you know, in Karbianglong, the terrain is, is a challenging terrain, inaccessible. So it's difficult to track down poachers in that area. But I must also state that the Karbianglong police since, since September last year could arrest you know, over 40 poachers, which is a great success, I would like to, you know, like to highlight that if there is a will, you know, there is a way, I think. And the Karbianglong police has done a remarkable job in naming poachers, you know, operating in Kajiranga National Park for past few years. Oh, that is good news, 40. Now, with the inaccessible terrain, how do they get in and out of Assam? Well, you know, because the Caribbean land connects to Nagaland. So once, you know, they 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 get the, the rhino shot and take away the horn, they just climb the Caribbean land hills, and then with the dense forest, they can go to Nagaland. So they're traveling on foot? Mostly by foot, but, but once they are in a safer place, they might take motorbikes or other, you know, okay. transport. Huh. What's the hierarchy in a typical rhino horn trafficking operation? Where are the so-called kingpins? Well, the kingpins, as I mentioned, the first kingpins definitely sits, you know, in, in Nagaland. Um, and sometimes also in places like Siliguri, which is in, in North Bengal. Uh, but the modus operandi of poachers is to engage local local youths or local person as the field guide. So once the rhinos are shot, you know the field guide you know, who guides them, he will get some money. Another group takes away the rhino horns and comes to Dimapur for sale. And sometimes, you know, if they feel that you know coming to Dimapur is having some challenges, maybe because of intense checking by the enforcement agencies. You know they, they they can keep the you know the rhino horns with them in some safe location within Assam. But but the majority of you know the rhino horns are being you know uh, been exported to the near the neighboring province called Nagaland, and from there you know it goes to the other buyers, international buyers. Hmm. And the people that get recruited as guides, um, typically, what kind of people get recruited? They are basically the villagers, poor, you know, and so that, you know, for them, you know, getting some easy money is, is always a, a lookout. And they are lured with, with the easy money. 
um, you know. Uh, but but the, the job they do is quite 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 uh, quite risky. Um, uh, but you know sometimes because of the uh, livelihood, because of the poor livelihood, poor economy, some of the you know villages, youths or older people get engaged, you know, and help the poachers to kill the kill the rhino. Hmm. Looking at Nepal for a moment, Nepal has lost, I think, just two rhinos in two calendar years. What are they doing right? Well, I think first, you know, the the commitment of the of the of the officials, enforcement agencies, army is assisting the the rhino protection intensively. Uh, I think political will is there to check poaching. And I think one of the greatest advantages of, of, of Nepal is building the second line of defense through uh, active engagement of the local communities in buffer zone management. So, you know, when the communities are engaged, they are getting the benefit out of the tourism activities in buffer zone. So they act as a shield against poachers to kill rhino. So I think that is working very, very good. And I think the enforcement is very good. The intelligence gathering system is very good so far. Uh, so I think that's something, you know, encouraging for, for countries like India or other countries to learn, you know, about about the success. Because Nepal went through a very bad time in 2000 when they lost, you know, I think about 15% of their, of their wild population. But of late, I think they are picking picking up. So I think that's quite encouraging uh, sign for for a small country like Nepal that they can really fight back and really uh, you know protect the sanctity of a national park and secure the future of the rhinos so far. Yeah, and with Nepal, the court system it works a lot differently than it does in other countries. Is that right? Yeah. It's my understanding that the um, traffickers or traders, if they're caught, they don't actually go through the, um, the regular court system. They're sentenced by the uh, park officials. Is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. So that makes, makes you know, the, the punishment or the conviction a little earlier. And I think which, which, which is acting as a deterrent uh, in rhino poaching in, in, in Nepal in the past few years. What is the conviction rate like for the um, arrested suspects in India? You said there'd been 40 people from Karbi Anglong uh, arrested. What kind of a conviction rate uh, do we have there? So far, I would say conviction is, is, is still very low. Although arrests are being made, but I think a lot of improvement is needed on the part of the enforcement agencies to place, you know, the case and the papers in the court, so that court also get a good handle to, you know, give the maximum punishment prescribed under the law. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, this is a legal matters, and, and enforcement agencies has to, uh, you know, really look into uh, into the pros and cons, especially you know why the conviction rate is low. You know, I think it is. It, it may be easy to just blame court, but court also needs to get papers, you know, because the judgment will be based on the evidence. And, and, and what is important is to timely submission of evidence and the report to the court so that, you know, the case, case the merit of the case is stronger. 
So I think that is a, that is an area where the enforcement agencies in India really need to work hard because arrest is only the first step. It is not the last. Arrest is the first step, but the most important step is to ensure conviction. So I think now the conviction is very less. It's, it's, I would say it's quite negligible in terms of wildlife offenses. Hmm. Well, hopefully that will start improving. How can uh, people help to improve that? Do you think that um, focusing more media attention on the situation in India would help that? Is there something that um, that anyone from the outside can do? Well, I think definitely, you know, with the international uh, support, international cooperation, uh, international suggestions to the Indian government to take, you know, the and the law enforcement as the priority issues uh, to ensure better conviction would be definitely beneficial. And I think, you know, the Indian government is looking into that. I had a few discussions with the officials in the ministry, and they are also looking at that, you know, how best uh, this conviction rate could be could be increased. You know, that needs awareness at every level. That needs proper coordination between police, forests, and other enforcement agencies. This is challenging, but this has to be done. Yeah, I agree for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, switching over to Sumatran rhinos, what is the latest news from the Sumatran rhino sanctuary, and how big is Andatu these days? Well, Wandatu was born last year in June 2012. And, you know, as of today, it's, you know, Andatu has almost close close to the size of, of, of mother. So almost, <laughs> so almost 90 percent, you know, of mother. Oh, my gosh. So it's, it's growing very fast. And the good thing is that, you know, the Andatu is at least getting the homely atmosphere in, in a tropical forest. Uh, although it is a sanctuary, it's, it's a fine sanctuary, but I think the atmosphere here is very close to the natural habitat. Excellent. And just yesterday, I guess, um, there were some recent findings of Sumatran rhino footprints on Borneo. Were Sumatran rhinos considered extinct in that region? What's the significance of finding these footprints, do you think? Well, I think there were records earlier, but of late, I think in the last five, five years' time, there was no recent record or the footprints detected. Uh, basically, to declare a species extinct, we, we have to wait. You know, we, we just cannot wait mm -hmm. for a week or one month to declare extinct. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, yeah, but I think the recent uh, detection of the Sumatran rhino footprints in Borneo is quite encouraging. But I think, you know, even if there are, you know, how many you know, Sumatran rhinos are living in Borneo needs to be ascertained as quick as possible so that we use the remaining population, you know, to, towards building the global population. Uh, so this is very important. I think, I hope the government of Borneo will look into the matter, including, you know, the, the WWF and other agencies working there. I think the Sumat for, for Sumatran rhino, we really need to, you know, uh, work very fast and and put the plan into action in, in a time-bound manner. Is this area where the footprints were found, um, is this one of those areas that's separated from the other habitats? Is this going to be another fragmented habitat situation? Yeah, definitely. I would say, you know, because now the, all the habitats, most of the habitats, the earlier historical habitats are fragmented. And that is one of the reasons why, you know, the Sumatran rhino is fast declining, 
from from its you know existing habitat because it it is pocketed and sometimes you know the the, the male female structure may not be very conducive to build to build the population so that is why a renewed approach renewed survey renewed quick you know rapid uh, surveys essential to ascertain you know in which pockets we have uh, the the sumatran rhino and if we have sumatran rhino how many male and females and how best we could use you know those male and females to build the global population uh, so i think you know we have uh, in fact having a sumatran rhino a pandarsan summit in singapore from first to port of april and where is probably we, we believe about 120 participants are coming across the world and we hope that something concrete plan uh, based on the different scenarios would be worked out uh, to ensure the future of sumatran rhino in southeast asia oh definitely um, i hope for some good outcomes of the summit as well and switching now from the sumatran rhinos to the javan rhinos what is the latest news or updates from the Javan rhinos. Well, the, you know, the Ujung Kulon National Park authorities, they have been using camera traps to find a sign of these of these Javan rhinos since 2010. And so far, the results uh, suggest that there are at least 35 different Javan rhinos, at least. Uh, and the male-female ratio, you know, so far, it's, it's it's about to be ten females, and probably the rest are males. But sometimes the subadults or the calves are very difficult to, you know, find out the the what whether they are male or females. Uh, and adjacent to the Ujungpula National Park, there is a effort going on to set up the Javan Rhino Conservation and Study Area, supported by the International Rhino Foundation, based in US and implemented by the Yayasan Badak Indonesia in collaboration with the Ministry of Forestry, uh, where the, the, the project is trying to uh, give you know, a new habitat to the Javan rhinos and trying to control the invasive species like Arenga palms scientifically uh, so that the, you know, the rhino footprints are generated uh, naturally and the, and the Javan rhinos could occupy the space. Uh, I have been, you know, into Jonkulan last week, and I found quite a significant and encouraging sign of Javan rhinos in the Gunung Ponje Forest, which is part of the Javan rhino study and conservation area. And some rhinos from Peninsular, uh, you know, have started visiting the Javan rhino study and conservation area. And I think at this moment there are five rhinos you know, utilizing that space, which is very encouraging. Oh, that's great. <laughs> what, um, in the video that came out uh, recently that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, shows a lot of the individual job in rhinos, there's a lot of calves. Yeah, that's from the Ujungkulan National Park. Those are the you know, camera traps used by the uh, Ministry of Forestry or the Ujungkulan National Park. Yeah, the lot of calves suggest that the population is still breeding. So there is a mm -hmm. hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that can be done to get them to breed faster? Is that possible? <laughs> well, I think, you know, we, we need to do habitat management because we all know rhinos are prehistoric animals. And the Javan rhinos and also Sumatran rhinos, they are, you know, browsers. 
So they need a forest that is, you know, a secondary forest with, a, with, with, with you know, a lot of new shoots coming out. So that lies, you know, that we have to stop succession of forests at a certain level to enable, you know, the, the secondary forest as well to grow that supports the Javan and Sumatran rhinos as they, you know, su supports, the, supports the feeding. And that is where we, we have to do habitat management uh, scientifically uh, to create more space for Javan rhinos in, in West Java and Sumatran rhino probably in Sumatra uh, to ensure the future of those two species of, of rhino. Now, before <clears throat> these species were completely decimated from killing from their horns, did the Sumatran and Javan rhinos, they shared habitats, didn't they? Yeah, they, they, they shared habitats right from, you know, from the from Assam up to, you know, Indonesia, uh, former ranks. But generally, the Javan rhino prefers low-lying forests, lowland forests, because they cannot climb. Mm -hmm. Sumatran rhino, they have adapted themselves and they can climb. So if we see now, you know, the Javan rhinos are found in Ujumkulon because it's a lowland forest. Whereas Sumatran rhinos are, are adapted to, you know, even, even high altitude. So they are found in, in Bukit Barisan, Salatan National Park, or Gunung Loja, where which is, you know, which is quite high, you know, in, in altitude. So that separates probably, you know, the current habitats of Javan and Sumatran rhinos. In Southeast Asia. Hmm. Interesting. So, what do you think the public can do to uh, help these three Asian species? Well, I think general public awareness, not only in the ranch countries but across the world. I w I probably feel very few, probably you know, few part in a very significant, very uh, I think low percentage of. The people in, in this world knows that Javan and Sumatran rhinos even exist. Yeah. <laughs> no, it means when we talk about rhinos, people think about, you know, Africa or also sometimes mm -hmm. of India and Nepal. But, uh, you know, the Sumatran and Javan rhinos are not known to many people. And that sometimes also hampers conservation because we need support in order to, you know, ensure the future of Sumatran and Javan rhinos. So I think a, a wider awareness is essential. Uh, to spread the message that these two species, Sumatran and Javans, are, are highly critically endangered species. The, the global population of Javan rhino is around 35 to 45. The global population of Sumatran rhino is less than 200. So these two species definitely need wider attention. And only the man can make a difference. Absolutely. And to end on a positive note, the population of the greater one horn rhino increasing, decreasing, what's going on there? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the greater one horn rhino population is definitely increasing. There was a recent estimation, you know, took place in Kajiranga National Park under the leadership of the Assam Forest Department, and the population has increased from 2290 in 2012 to 2329. Sorry, two. Uh, Two, yeah, two three two nine in 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 2013. So there is a marginal increase in the population uh, in, in Kaziranga, and 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 if we see even in Nepal after the bad period, the population is really picking up. So I think it is in in, in better better shape now. But that that should not lead 
all of us to be complacent because rhinos are conservation dependent species. Anytime it may hit the rhino, rhino population, so we have to be experimental. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Bebop. It was really great to speak with you. Thank you very much. I hope the listeners will get some idea about the current status of rhinos in Asia and they can think how best they could contribute towards conservation of the Asian rhino species. Absolutely. You've been listening to Rhino Horn Trafficking in India with Dr. Bebop Talukdar, chair of the IUCN Asian Rhino Specialist Group. This is Risha with Behind the Schemes.